الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد my dear respected brothers and sisters in Islam assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh alhamdulillah we want to dive straight into hadith number 3 a new hadith inshallah this is a bit different because it is a quite long hadith uh, so we will read through it and the translation inshallah afterwards we will go back and try to um, have a, a slightly deeper discussion regarding the initial parts of the hadith you cannot cover the entire hadith. Also, alhamdulillah, we are in that uh, season now where the Isha is so late. So uh, we are not mandated to continue it all the way till Isha, considering how at times the discussion can be a bit dense and heavy for uh, all of us. There are different parts of the brain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. Many times we are not used to, um, you know, abstract thinking uh, as much in our daily professions. Even though, alhamdulillah, everyone is very well educated. But uh, uh, I, I got the feedback that sometimes it gets a bit overwhelming. So we'll try to make it easier, inshallah, not um, uh, you know, going to that many academic details, perhaps, which are not uh, as practical for, for all of us as general audience. But alhamdulillah, the purpose of this session itself was that, we, alhamdulillah, we have at a weekly level our Tuesday night uh, tafsir of the Qur'an by Mufti Azimuddin. And that was not uh, coincidental, but by design, the nature of that program is more targhibi and inspirational and um, to inspire us, to give us that imani jadba, or which means our desire to follow Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, follow Rasulullah sallallahu to um, basically to inspire us. It's more inspirational uh, type of uh, session. Um, so it's quite ironic since we're talking about wahi, which is divine inspiration. But inshallah, we should definitely try to get inspired by these discussions as well. But the objective was that it's supposed to be slightly more academic in nature. Even though we didn't necessarily explicitly spell it out, but uh, any casual observer would be able to determine that and uh, above and beyond that those who are dedicated listeners can very easily determine that. Um, but there, there is a limit to everything. Too, if it becomes too, too economic, it becomes a bit dry perhaps. Allah So, generally just like in the tafsir dars, that uh, the uslub or the style of our mashayikh and akabirin and till today we see is that the passage that they will be explained is recited in tilawah in the beginning. So in the hadith there's what normally happens is that there is a, 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 amongst the students there is a student who is assigned to read the hadith. He's the one who reads the matan. reads the text and the sanad for that matter. He reads the, uh, the hadith. As you will see inshallah in two weeks when we have our Bukhari khatam. Right, so this is now we're in hadith number three in the beginning, Bab number three, right in the beginning of the kitab. Inshallah, imagine at this level, but actually much more beyond this level if the entire Bukhari is covered um, and we get to the khatam. So we can just imagine, jump ahead and participate in the final hadith that will be taught on Sunday. So, this, um, so that, that since you are a few that are here. Uh, MashaAllah have proven through your sitting all these days and 
patiently going through all these very, um, at times maybe boring discussions, you're sitting with me, uh, shows that you have the love for Allah, love for Rasulullah, love for Imam Bukhari, sahih, this book that he has compiled the words of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And th there is not much other entertainment that's happening here. I hope it, hope it doesn't, it's not considered entertainment. You're here because you are, mashallah, learning the hadith of Rasulullah, and this is something which excites you. So imagine you can have the opportunity to participate in the last dars of the last hadith of Sahih Bukhari. That will be coming in two weeks, inshallah, on Sunday. Just like you take out time on Friday nights, I strongly urge you to come for that khatam hadith. So what, I, what you will see is that one of the students will read the ibarah. So, uh, so this is a, a great honor that students vie for and they compete for it. So the student who gets the first place in the exams, um, you know, they get the honor to read the hadith. But what we did is we wanted to you know, share it amongst more people. So we said, okay, first place uh, can, and second place. They can divide it up. One will read the sanad, the names from the teachers, all the way to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa through Imam Bukhari. And the second student will be reading the text. So one student reads the matan. You want to read the matan? Okay, pass. You want me to read it? Okay, but so the thing is, we are basically, we're going to just read the hadith and then we're going to do a few lines in the beginning. Uh, normally when you have a hadith upon hadith upon hadith, then the student who is reading the matan is quite active. He has to do a, a lot of reading. So he will continue reading. I'm just trying to give you an idea of how the class environment looks like. So he'll be reading. Uh, will the shaykh be translating? No. Because this would be considered like an insult to the intelligence of the students of Dora Hadith if he starts translating the Arabic. Then that's, that's very insulting. Like, um, this is something you don't have to even do the one year intensive. Just a few weeks in the Arabic program in the beginning they will be able to understand this and translate this. The first year students. Yes, when there are difficult words that appear in the, the teacher, what he does? He pauses. Then he explains that difficult word. Because um, there are غريب, words, which means that they are uh, rarely used words that are found in the hadith literature. So those words are explained. Then after the hadith is completed, then the, the, the shaykh, he normally explains the hadith further. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. This is will be, I'm giving you a heads up, this will be a bit longer, right? So if I'm continuing reading Arabic, don't say, oh my God, he forgot about us. See, look, this is how long it goes. It's a quite long hadith. Right till here. Then we'll do the translation. Okay? It's just like when you do a tafsir of Quran, the, the shaykh, what does he do? He reads the whole ruku'ah. Uh, the page, two pages, depending on how much he's explaining. And there is a barakah. There is a barakah in listening to the words of Allah, qala Allah. And there is a qawl Allah. And there is a barakah in listening to the words of Rasulullah, qawl Rasulullah sallallahu There is a nur in the words of Allah, and there is a nur in the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa When we understand, and also when we may not be able to directly understand, but we will be going over the translation very briefly. Bismillah. So what I said up to now is that while uh, through the Sanad, which is continuous between us and the Imam al-Humam, Imam al-Mu'minina fil-Hadith, 
Imam Muhammad ibn Ismail al-Yamani al-Bukhari, al-Jawafi rahimahullah, known as Imam Bukhari for short. He said, قال, حدثنا يحيى بن بكير قال حدثنا الليث عن عقيل عن ابن شهاب عن عروة بن الزبير أنا عائشة أم المؤمنين رضي الله تعالى عنهم أنها قالت أول ما بدي به رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من الوحي الرؤيا الصالحة في النوم فكان لا يرى رؤيا إلا جاءت مثل فلق الصبح ثم حبب إليه الخلاء وكان يخلو بغار حراء فيتحنث فيه وهو التعبد الليالي ذوات العدد قبل أن ينزع إلى أهله ويتزود لذلك ثم يرجع إلى خديجة فيتزود لمثلها حتى جاءه الحق وهو في غار حراء فجاءه الملك فقال اقرأ قال ما أنا بقارئ قال فأخذني فغطني حتى بلغ مني الجهل ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ قلت ما أنا بقارئ فأخذني فغطني الثانية حتى بلغ مني الجهل ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ فقلت ما أنا بقارئ فأخذني فغطني الثالثة ثم أرسلني فقال اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم فرجع بها رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يرجف فؤاده فدخل على خديجة بنت خويلد رضي الله تعالى عنها فقال زملوني زملوني فزملوه حتى ذهب عنه الروع فقال لخديجة وأخبرها الخبر لقد خشيت على نفسي فقالت خديجة كلا والله ما يخزيك الله أبدا إنك لتصل الرحم وتحمل الكل وتكسب المعدوب وتقري الضيف وتعين على نوائب الحق فانطلقت به خديجة حتى أتت به ورقة ابن نوفل بن أسد بن عبد العزة ابن عم خديجة وكان امرأ تنصر في الجاهلية وكان يكتب الكتاب العبراني فيكتب من الإنجيل بالعبرانية ما شاء الله أن يكتب وكان شيخا كبيرا قد عمي فقالت له خديجة يا ابن عم اسمع من ابنك أخيك فقال له ورقة يا ابن أخي ماذا ترى فأخبره رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم خبر ما رأى فقال له ورقة هذا الناموس الذي نزل الله على موسى صلى الله عليه وسلم يا ليتني فيها جذعا ليتني أكون حيا إذ يخرجك قومك فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أو مخرجيهم قال نعم لم يأتي رجل قد بمثل ما جئت به إلا عودي وإن يدركني يومك أنصرك نصرا مؤزرا ثم لم ينشب ورقة أن توفي وفتر الوحي So this is the text of the beautiful hadith that is filled with a lot of wisdom that inshallah will take a number of weeks to cover بإذن الله تعالى so let us 
quickly just go over the translation first. So we have a bird's eye view of what's going on. Um, so this is uh, Aisha radiallahu anha when Mu'mini narrates. أنها قالت أول ما بدي به رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من الوحي الرؤية الصالحة في النوم. The beginning of the wahi that happened in the beginning of time when the wahi began, it was through good dreams. Perhaps I will just, I did go through the barakah of the words of Rasulullah sallam. And to make it easy, instead of going back and forth, normally when you teach in Arabic, you're just teaching in the Arabic and everyone's understanding. But I will perhaps, instead of going back and forth, since it's so long, I will just go through the English. Uh, while continuing to, in our heart, retaining the respect of the original Arabic words. So it says here, the commencement of the divine inspiration to Allah's messenger. Commencement meaning the beginning of the divine inspiration is the wahi to Rasulullah was in the form of good dreams. Uh, which came true like bright daylight. So this is a tashbih. This is similar to this is an example that has been given. Why is this example given? We'll talk about it. And then the love of seclusion was bestowed upon him. Then he started, he started having good dreams, righteous dreams, true dreams. And then he started حُبِّبَ إِلَيْهِ الْخَلَاءُ He started uh, preferring to remain in solitude. This was a phase in his life of Rasulullah He did not enjoy spending time with people, hanging out with people. He would prefer to remain in solitude at this phase of his life. He couldn't enjoy the luxury of solitude for the rest of his life. He had to go out and the people invite them. In fact, faced a lot of opposition, a lot of trials. But this was a particular phase and of course there is a lot of wisdom behind that as well. Then what happened, he says here, he used to go in seclusion in the cave of Hira, the Ghar of Hira, where he used to worship Allah alone, continuously for many days. Right? Before going back to see his family. Some of the times where I have to go back to the Arabic is because the translation may not be, uh, with all due respect, you know, Masha did great work to uh, convey exactly what I would like to convey, perhaps. I'm not saying it's incorrect. <laughs> okay. So then he says, he used to take with him the journey food. SubhanAllah. The journey food. What does that mean? Allah Akbar. Okay. The Zad. Zad is the provisions for the journey. The provision for the journey is called Zad. Just like we had the book in the first year, Zadud Qalibin, the provision for the seekers of knowledge. So when people travel, right, there, there's no, uh, there are not, uh, you know, exits on the highway with food available 24 hours, fast food, drive-through, it's not available. So you would take provisions uh, on the journey, on their, on their camel, subhanAllah. And uh, do, you, do you think, you know, they are, they are, they're weeks out on the journey, right? Do you think they would be taking meat with them? What do you think? Hmm? Should be? How are they going to take the meat? Food. Yeah, so the interesting thing is, the reason I mentioned meat is because um, we covered this in Kitab al-At'imah today in Bukhari, the, much later in this book. There is a Kitab al-At'imah, the book, chapter on food. 
so when, when, uh, for a protein source, when they were traveling in the desert for long periods of time and they don't have food available, they used to, when, you, when they would slaughter an animal and they had the meat, they could not refrigerate it or freeze it because of the absence of refrigerated freezers, obviously, back then. And how long are you going to keep it in ice? It's not going to last, last long with the, with the desert sun. So to, in order to preserve it, they used to dry it, dehydrate it. To make kebabs, they would, they would hang it. One is the, like, you know, kebab, and one is the kawab, which is the dried meat. They do that with fish as well in different cultures, where they dry the fish. It is not necessarily the best smell, if you know what I'm talking about. All right, so it's dried fish has this very unique pungent order, and then they have dried meat, right? So they would take the meat and they would dry it in the sun, and... Um, uh, and then they would cut it. They would cut it into strips and tie it like on, like you do on a clothing line. You dry clothes in the in the sun, and then they would take it in there, pack it up, and take it with them on their long journeys. So that that dried meat is called qadid. It's called qadid. And something that you know is interesting for you, and also hopefully educational, and something you would learn, is that like I would like to relate things to things words which you already know. So, mashallah, many of you are very punctual. You pray your ishraq salah. Also, you might have heard of mashriq. Right? So, what is sharaqa yashruqu is the rising of the sun. The light of the sun is, is shuruq. So, when, um, when the sun rises, the place where the sun rises is mashriq. And the place where the sun sets is maghrib. Ghurub. It's either the place or the time. So you have Mashriq is the east and Maghrib is the west. And Shuruq is the rising of the sun. And when the sun rises high enough so that it becomes bright, that's the time for Salatul Ishraq. Ishraq, right. From Shuruq, Sheen Raqaf. You see that? So then you have Eidul Adha. Eidul Adha is which day? 10th of Dhul Hijjah. Then after the 10th of Dhul Hijjah, you have the 11th, 12th, and 13th. Does anyone know what they are called? Ayyam of Tashriq, exactly. Uh, this, this brother is the number one in the Tafim record, record holder, mashallah. He used to ace all the exams in the Tafim course. Mashallah. Okay, so we have the, uh, the um, Tashriq, Ayyam of Tashriq. So Tashriq means the days of something to do with the sun. Why are uh, the 11th, 12th, and 13th of Zul Hijjah called Ayyam of Tashriq? Is it because there are typically sunny days? Can that be the case? No, because the sunny days or the not so sunny days is a function of the, uh, the, the climate, the weather, the season, right? And the season is based on the solar calendar and the Ayam al-Tashriq is based on the lunar calendar. At a practical level, you know and I know what. Ramadan was in July. And when you were 15, 13, 15 years ago, it was in what? December, so you can't forget that one. What do we see? Solar calendar is different, lunar calendar is different. So can you say Ayam al-Tashriq is the sunny days? Maybe somebody will say, oh, maybe in the time of Rasulullah it was in summer, that's why it's called Ayam al-Tashriq. No, it has nothing to do with sunny days. But what it has to do with is on the fact, is on the 10th of Zul Hijjah, what would happen? They would slaughter a lot of animals. Because they would not only slaughter animals for themselves and their family members on behalf of the Ummah of Rasulullah on behalf of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did 63 on behalf of all, you know, this entire Ummah for every year of his life. 
You know that. Nabi Sallallahu sacrificed so many camels, 100 camels they would sacrifice. And you know, it takes a lot of people to eat what? One camel. Can you throw it into the freezer? No, no freezer exists. So then what would happen is on the 11th and 12th and 13th, they're the days of drying the meat in the, in the sun. So that's why they're called Ayamut Tashriq, is the days for drying the meat. Another interesting hadith, so this is how they would take the food. So Khadija radiallahu anha, she would be packing this for him. And speaking about this, another incident about the Qadid that, you know, just put things in perspective about Rasulullah s.a.w. Just so you get immersed in that era, is that when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we have to have appreciation of the whole seerah to get the whole background. But in, even if you don't have that much fresh seerah in your mind, you haven't studied it, it's a good opportunity to go back and read any seerah book. But if you can fast forward to the eighth year of, of uh, Hijrah, what happened, the major event in the eighth year was Fath Makkah, the conquest of Makkah. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he was entering triumphantly with uh, success, uh, without much of opposition, with 10,000 Sahaba, he's marching into Makkah. This is the same Makkah he was expelled from, which comes in the bottom uh, end of this same hadith today. They're going to expel me from Makkah. Wahshi ibn Harb, I mean not Wahshi, uh, this, um, uh, the cousin of, of um, um, uh, Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha he Waraka ibn Nawfal yeah, he told him you will be expelled so when he was he was expelled Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa was expelled from Makkah al-Mukarramah and he had he had, undergo, he had under, uh, the, the Sahaba and the Muhajirun had to undergo so many trials and tribulations and finally when he's coming back then what was expected the people of Makkah expected him to take vengeance take revenge and perhaps slaughter them kill them enslave them which was typical behavior, behavior of uh, those who were victorious generals and kings of that time. So when he, en so he entered into Makkah, so Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was walking, uh, uh, with, was coming with his qaswa, and when he was entering Makkah, there was a Qureshi boy who saw him and started shivering, shivering with fear. The boy was shivering with fear. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa when he saw that boy, subhanAllah, he could, he could have just ignored him and moved on, or he could have said, hey, don't worry, relax, I'm not going to kill you. But subhanAllah, you know what he said? He said, ya bunayya, oh dear boy, ana ibnu imra'atin min Qurayshin ta'kulul qadida. He said, I am also a son of a Qurayshi woman. Ana ibnu, I am a son, imra'atin min Quraysh. I am the son of a Qurayshi woman. Unfortunately, he was so sad, he only saw that woman how long? Six years. Father passed away before he was born, mother passed away at the age of six. In those six years, he was also a couple years away with Halima Saadiyah, with the Banu Saad tribe in the desert. Two years or more. So, he said, Ana ibnu imra'atin min Quraysh. I'm also the son of a mother, of a woman, a Quraysh woman. Like, you have a mother, you have your mama, mama. I also had a Quraysh mother. And you know what? Your mother dries the meat and makes the qadid the dried meat to, nowadays they, you know in the stores they have like it's called beef jerky it's, it's different from you know don't be a jerk right that's jerk is different this is called jerky don't confuse the two so uh so uh so, yeah uh, the dried meat jack links or something like that right okay so, so the, he said my mother used to make the kebab also just like your mother does 
So look how he brought himself down. So that's the Qadid comes there too. Anyway, so the, the, they would take with them food in the long journeys. What about the camel? How is he going to survive? Allah had made the camel such that it would store it in its hump, right? The water and the, and the fat. But and as they would go, as they would travel in the desert, slowly, slowly the hump would melt away, melt away, melt away. And when it's completely melted and the whole hump has dissolved and now it's emaciated, it's completely a starving camel. Every single stage of the camel has a different name. The starving camel whose hump has completely melted is called the Dhamir camel. And that's also mentioned in the Quran. Allah Akbar. Surah Al-Hajj, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Ibrahim alayhi salam, وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ Hajj time is coming up. وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ And proclaim and invite the people to come for Hajj. يَأْتُوكَ رِجَالًا Some people will be coming till the end of time walking. وَعَلَى كُلِّ ضَامِرٍ And they will be coming on the Dhamir camel. مِن فَجِّنْ عَمِيقٍ Right? مِن كُلِّ فَجِّنْ عَمِيقٍ From far distant valleys, they will be traveling to perform the Hajj on the camel whose back... It just says Dhamir camel. So if you go in one of these translations, it will just say camel. But which type of camel is it? The hump has dissolved. So there's a lot of meaning conveyed in that. The person is traveling in his ihram for weeks on end, such that the camel's hump has dissolved because there is no access to food and water too. And he's basically surviving with his dehydrated meat with him and other grains and things which are basically common denominator is non-perishable stuff. Anyway, that's the whole tangent on wait tazawwadu. So he would take with him the provisions in the journey. Then, uh, he's not really going on a long journey. He's going into the cave just to stay in the cave. He's camping out in the cave. And then he would come back to his wife Khadija radiallahu anha. Then he would stock up once again. Basically he's going back to stock up and he would go back into the cave. Until finally, one day, Allah Ta'ala sent the truth and haq to him. While he was in the cave of Hira. So the angel came to him and said, Iqra, read. So he said, I cannot read. I do not know how to read. So the Prophet replied, I do not know how to read. Then he said, He grabbed me. And he forcefully embraced me, pressed me so hard that until it, he uh, caused me pain, I could not bear it anymore as translated here. Jahad. He, he, he forcefully embraced me like give me a, a bear hug until I actually felt the pain in my chest and my ribs and whole rib cage was in pain. Then he released me. And again he asked me, okay, read now. So I said, no, no, I cannot read. I do not know how to read. Okay, this is where I have to what? hold myself not to go on tangents. All of this, we're going to come back. In case you're wondering, oh my God, there's maybe so many lessons here. Yeah, there is, but inshallah we'll come back. Because we want to, what's the objective right now? Somehow or the other, try hard to get to the end of this hadith, inshallah. All right, so let's see if we can make it there. Um, so then 
Then he released me and he said, read now. I said, I cannot read. Then he did it the third time. Then he released me. And then he said, اقرأ بسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم So he told me, read. I do not know how to read. What should I read? Then he caught me the third time, pressed me, released me and said, read in the name of your Lord who has created all that exists. Created man from a clot. Read and your Lord is the most generous. He is the one who taught with the pen. He taught man that which he knew not. Just to keep it with the same tone. Then he taught man that which he knew not. He did not know in other words. Then what happens? So he said, repeated that. Then Allah's Messenger, Rasulullah returned with the inspiration and with his heart beating severely. So Rasulullah came back, he had this wahi with him, and his heart is beating severely. His heart, like in tachycardia, his heart is beating very fast. So then what happened? Then he went to Khadija bin Takhwalid. Who is Khadija bin Takhwalid? Why did he go to her? Okay, we come back to that. For now, we know that, of course, she is who? His wife. Radiyallahu ta'ala anha, alayha. Salamullah. Allah ta'ala sent his salam to her. Ya Khadija. Allah is sending his salam to you. That happened later. This is a noble lady. Subhanallah, what a noble lady. So he came and he told her the news. And he said, Zammiluni, Zammiluni. That's what you get your Ya Yuhal Muzammil from. Muzammil. It's one of the most beautiful names, with all due respect, one of the hardest names. Basically, you're setting it up for being mispronounced for the rest of your life, unless you are very careful. Because, you know, when we teach Qaeda to the kids, Al Qaeda, <laughs> anyway, so when you teach it, it, the hardest thing is the Shadda, Tashdeed. It's very hard for the kids. If you have one Shadda, it's hard. Imagine you got two Shaddas back to back. Pretty much, my experience is no one ever says these names correctly. Because one shadda is bad enough. So if you think about it in your whole life, if you have any brother, friend, or yourself, what do, what do they call you? Muzammil. Muzammil. Or mudathir. Mudathir. Shadda on the tha. Muzammil. Muzammil. But muzammil and mudathir, as nice as it sounds, both are incorrect. There's a double shadda. It's actually muzzammil. Za shadda, mim shadda. Muzzammil. And muddathir. So you gotta, you know, collect yourself and get ready to pronounce the name. Everyone ready? Let's do the exercise. Muzzammil. Say it. Muddathir. That, that's really what it is. You gotta like focus, take a deep breath. Just to pronounce the name, right? So, so the upcon. Muzammil, double shadda. Ya ayyuhal, muzammil. And ya ayyuhal, mudathir. Everyone says mudathir by. And muzammil by. Or brother muzammil. Or Dr. Muzammil Siddiqui. Down barakatum is male. Hadaha Allah, hadana jami'an. 
so so you have uh, uh, you have all of these uh, uh, mashallah names I have in my family too with all due respect there's a mudathir or not yeah so there nobody says mudathir mudathir beta how about that one that's going to be really hard so so that's why you know they say oh Musab give us some Whatever name you have, Barakallah, Taqabbalallah, and continue with it. But I'm saying, if you are in a position to name someone, i.e. your children or grandchildren, then there are certain factors you should look out for, right? Good meaning is there, ease, uh, you know, transliteration, the spelling of it. And one of them is that it should be such a word which is not going to be so hard to pronounce and everyone is going to be slaughtering it for the rest of their life. And you're the one who set up the pattern for that, right? So you should try your best. If you're already named, then that's fine. Because we respect the wishes. Is, is the meaning good? Absolutely. As far as the, um, the meaning being okay, how could it be? Uh, what could be better than in the name of, title of? Rasulullah But pronunciation-wise, it's hard. Zammiluni, zammiluni. Cover me up, cover me up. Wrap me up. Wrap me up in the blanket. Then they wrapped him up until his fear was over. See, you know the reason, by the way, I'm being a little bit more animated today is because I got feedback. They said, Mustafa, last time, you know, Right. Okay. So then, uh, okay. So then, anyway, so then he said, Akbar al Khabar, he told her, he told her the whole news, what happened. And he said, لَقَدْ خَشِيتُ عَلَىٰ نَفْسِي And he said, I fear something may happen to me. Oh my God, the Orientalists, they have a field day here. Come back to them. نَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شَبْرُورِهِمْ And then, Khadija replied, you know, she said, كَلَّا When is la? Everyone perhaps knows what la. نَعَمْ means yes. La means no. But kalla means never. Over my dead body. Right, that's kalla. So, so he said, Khadija said, kalla, never. Why are you afraid for yourself? Never, it's never gonna. She didn't, by the way, she, she, didn't, uh, she didn't say, you know, what's wrong with you? You had a nightmare or something? You need some help? No, she, 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 uh, she felt the pain. She was compassionate. She said, Wallahi ma Allahu abada. She said, never by Allah, Allah will never disgrace you. Allah, look at, you know, one is that, hey man, don't worry about it, just go to sleep, what's wrong with you? Right? She didn't mean to say that, she, she actually, she gave like a whole speech, that's why, the, that's part of the reason the hadith was so long. There's a whole speech right here, here goes. She gives a speech, Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, and she starts, Amma Ba'd. She starts the whole detailed speech about his virtues. Sare khubiyan ginwani lagi, like you are like this, you are like this, you are like this. Giving, uh, consoling him. What does she do? She says, Subhanallah. Uh, she says, Look, rahim. You are the one who keeps good relations with your kith and kin. The same ones who are going to end up attacking him soon. What else do you do? You are the one who helps the poor and the destitute. The destitute. You give them money. Okay. You are serving the guests generously. 
and you are assisting the deserving calamity afflicted ones. So she could have just said, hey, you're a good guy, it's okay. There is, there is a purpose for the tafsil, for the detail. Because every time you mention the detail, more detail, more detail, what is it? it gives more comfort. For example, if you just say, you know, if you just say to your wife, I love you, that's great, like, whatever. But if you say, I love you, and then you have, if you give the tafsil, because of how meticulously you maintain the home, and because of how uh, much sacrifice you do in, in raising the kids, and because you, uh, you actually cook so beautiful meals for us, and this and that. If you give the tafsil, then she will start listening, oh, maybe he actually means it. Right? Otherwise, it's like, it has no value. So this is, what, this is what it is here. She's giving the details that you are such a uh, good person that don't worry. Then she said, let's, let's, uh, let's, get some, let's go get some advice from a wise person. So, فَانْتَالَقَتْ بِهِ خَدِيجَةُ Then Khadija takes him. حَتَّى أَتَتْ بِهِ وَرَقَتَّ it can keep on going, but they stopped it here. That she took him to Waraqah, the son of Nofil, who was the son of Asad, who was the son of Abdul Uzza. Right? So this is from the Batan of the clan of Abdul Uzza. And this is Ibn Ammi Khadija, the son of the uncle of Khadija. Son of the uncle is what? Chachakabirta, meaning cousin. So in short, he was a cousin. Let's see what it says here. It says, Khadija then accompanied him to her cousin. See, this cousin is Ibn Am, the son of the uncle. The cousin, she took him to her cousin. Why did she take to the cousin? He, he didn't, he was, um, not because he was, you know, degree in psychology or anything. The reason she took is because he had the knowledge of the previous scriptures and revelation. Um, he was a man who in the pre-Islamic period, in the Jahiliyyah, he had become a Christian. Tanassara, he had become a Nasrani, a Christian. And he used to know how to write in the Hebrew language. Hebrani is Hebrew. Suryani is Syriac, the ancient languages. He knew Hebrew. He used to write the writing with Hebrew letters. Basically, he used to write what? In Hebrew, and he used to read Hebrew. And he would write from the gospel of the Injil, the Injil of Isa salam and the and the, the different um, gospels that were uh, were present in that time. I cannot say were preserved. Were they really preserved? We already know they were not preserved in the pristine form, in the original form. But whatever form of the gospel was present, he would write that. And he was an old man and he had lost his eyesight. And so these are just, just different information about who this person was. He's an old person, he was a Christian, he had become a Christian, even though he's from the Quraysh, uh, but he had adopted Christianity and he would uh, write the Injil. Um, so what did Waraka say? فَقَالَ لَهُ وَرَقَى Waraka told him when after you heard the story هَذَا النَّامُوسِ No, it's right here. Yeah, فَقَالَ لَهُ وَرَقَى يَبْنَ أَخِي Waraka said, Oh my nephew, oh the son of my brother, oh nephew, oh Batije, oh nephew, oh young man, مَاذَا تَرَى 
a young man, I meaning he's 40 years old. But he was like now, like say 80 years old. So he could have been his son's age. He said, what do you see? So, so Rasulullah told him, and gave him the full report of what the incident happened, and what he experienced. So Waraqat said, هذا الناموس الذي نزل الله على موسى صلى الله عليه وسلم. He says, oh, um, this is that same being, the same angel uh, who keeps the secrets, the namus that Allah Ta'ala had sent to Moses. This is the same one who came to Musa alayhi salam. He's come to you. Ya laytani fiya jaza'an. Laytani akuna hayyan idh yukhrijaka qawmuk. He said, I wish I was young. And I wish I could live up to the time when your people are going to expel you from Makkah. Why do, why do I want to see? Why, why is he wishing for like the worst scene? He's not wor- wishing or oh, that people are going, I wish they would kick you out. Na'udhu billah. I wish they would expel you. Na'udhu billah. He's not wishing that. But he knows it's going to happen. He's rather, he's wishing what? That I could be there. I wish I would be there. Why does he want to be there? To see it? No. To help Rasulullah I wish I could be there to defend you at that time. So Nabi Wasallam was so shocked. Why is he shocked? Because right now, he's the most popular man in Makkah. He's the most beloved man in Makkah. He's the Asadiq. Al-Ameen, the truthful, the trustworthy, the beloved one. We covered the example about him coming and putting the Hajj al-Aswad back, right? When they said, Radina bil-Ameen, we are pleased with the Ameen, whatever he decides. When they were having the battle of putting the Hajj al-Aswad back. So Nabi Wasallam got shocked and he said, Awa bukhrijiyahum, are they really gonna take me out? Will they drive me out? That's fine. Will they drive me out? Will they drive me out? So he said, Qala na'am. He said, yes. He replied in the affirmative. And he said, anyone who came with something similar to what you have brought was treated with hostility. He was treated with hostility. So the mukhalafa opposition is there in this path of preaching of truth. From the day one. This is the sunnatullah. All the Anbiya alayhi wasalam came. وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَا لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍ Every Nabi who came had adu and enemies. Which type of enemies? Shayateenal insi wal jinni. Shayateenal ins and shayateenal jinn. Human shaitans and jinn shaitans. We always thought, oh shaitan. You know, shouldn't say that. Like the, go back to the qaida, you say shaitan. Right? So that, <laughs> so if the, it's totally not acceptable. We shouldn't call kids or anyone shaitan. But they are human shaitans. Who said so? Allah said so. Shayateen al-insi wal-jinni. Yuhi ba'dhuhum ila ba'dhin. You know we're talking about wahi? This is another wahi. This is not a good wahi. It's a bad wahi. Yuhi ba'dhuhum ila ba'dh. The human and the jinn shaitans, they're, do, they're doing ishara and inspiring each other. That is pretty scary. Because first of all, when Allah is speaking about shaitan, He mentioned shayateen al-insi first. The human shaitan. Insani shakal ka shaitan. Mentioned first. Then shayateen al-jinn, the jinn shaitan. And he's saying, yuhi, it's not that the jinn shaitan is always inspiring the human shaitan. It's yuhi ba'duhum ila ba'd. They inspire each other. Meaning sometimes the shaitan, jinn shaitan is inspired, oh, asi harkat karna chahiye. Like this is how you gotta do it. He's learning from whom? Human shaitan. Na'udhu billah.
like what I think there was it's a long poem but there was one line yehe ase musalman ke sharmain se yahood right okay nawazbillah anyway so the, the 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 different enemies they are getting inspired oh this is this is a shaitan incident. so what happened here is he um, this enmity is there the key word or that ayah was likulli nabiyin for every nabi had an enemy so he says udiya you will have enemies if somehow I should remain alive till the day this happens, when you will be turned out, I will support you strongly. So he made the niyyah. And inshallah he'll get the thawab. But after a few days, waraqa died. And the divine inspiration was also paused for a while. This is known as the zamanu fatratil wahi, when the wahi was paused. So the wahi was paused for some time. So he, he I mean, when will, when will he be, uh, the hijrah will take place? How many years later? 13 years later. 13 years is a long time. He passed away in a few days. So now that is the end of the tarjuma of the hadith, tra translation. So how about the detail of it? We'll do a few lines. First is Imam Bukhari Rahmatullah he says, Haddathana Yahya ibn Bukair, that he narrates from his teacher Yahya ibn Bukair. His full name is Abu Zakariya Yahya bin Abdullah bin Bukair. See, this Bukair sometimes is, is worth noting that it sees Yahya bin Bukair, but Bukair is not his father. Okay, the teacher of Imam Bukhari, that's his grandfather's name. A lot of times they do that, uh, till modern times. Um, like this Ibn Saud. Saud was not his father's great grandfather. The founder of the Saudi dynasties. So they'll say Ibn Saud. Or, or, you know, what is a common word I can relate to? Like Ibn Kathir. You must have heard of Tafsir Ibn Kathir. Or Al Bidai wa Nihaya of, of Ibn Kathir. So it's Muhammad Ibn Ismail Ibn Fida Ibn Kathir. So he's. he's Right? So Ibn Kathir, but they call him Ibn Kathir. So if the grandfather, sometimes the great-grandfather is more famous, then they attribute it to him. Um, this in names is a very interesting thing because every culture has its own system of, of names. So many of us are sitting here are immigrants. So what happens is that we have your own system of naming in your own country, in the Mashriq, in the East, where the sun rises. Where... That's another thing, funny. Where is the sunrise? Which is the first sunrise? The earth is, is a globe, right? So based on the international dateline, human, we, we came up with this. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west. But it's east and west is based on how we make the map. In any case, in the east, we say that you know, there's, a, uh, there's a system of naming. And in the west, there's a system of naming. So people, they enforce their their system of naming. So when you come to America, they'll say, okay, you're signing up for a card, you have first name, middle name, last name. So people, they come up with all kinds of crazy things I've seen in my, in my years. Um, on the flip side, like the Arab, they had their own way of naming things. Like my, for, I don't want to start with anyone. My own name, for example, my first name is Minhaj, right? My middle name is Uddin, which by itself has no meaning, Uddin. And my last name is Ahmad. So my first name is Minhaj, my middle name is Uddin, my last name is Ahmad. So if you want to use like middle initial, be Minhaj, you, Ahmad. Uddin by itself has 
no particular meaning, right? And then you have, um, what if there are many people who, if first name, if it was Minhaj, last name would be Uddin? There are people like that. I know. I don't like, see, Qutubuddin or Shamsuddin. So, so now for the rest of his life, in America, you call people by what? Last name. So it's Dr. Uddin or Mr. Uddin. Uddin has what? Absolutely no meaning. Uddin. What is Uddin? There's a word, Deenun. It's Uddin because it's linked with the word before it, right? So this is what happens. You're taking, a, uh, you're taking something and you're fitting it into another uh, template which it doesn't match. And then you have the concept where different cultures, for example, in certain families within like um, uh, old city of Hyderabad, for example, they have where every person, the first name, they, they give what? Muhammad. Because they love Muhammad That's awesome, that's great. So what happens is, but, like my own family, for example, on my maternal side, all my uncles, Muhammad Fasihuddin and Muhammad Baligudin and the one who was in Itikaf here for the whole month of Ramadan, Muhammad Masihuddin, Ijaz. Then his sons, Muhammad Fulan, Muhammad Fulan, Muhammad Fulan. So at the end of the day, everyone in the family, if you call them by first name, they're all Muhammads. So then the real name is the watch one, the middle name. Who calls anyone by the middle name in America? It's not. That's a Western, William Jefferson Clinton, for example. That's fine, that, that's your system. But this is, now you're taking the Muslim system, Western, Eastern's and putting it in there. Likewise, now they changed everything. Way before Vision 2030, I remember in the 80s when I would go to Saudi Arabia, they would have, in the Saudi Airlines, they would have a form, okay? The form for, it's called, it was called the arrival card. To fill it out, you know? Your passport number and everything. Flight number, where you're coming from, where you're going. You know how the name was? It was like this. Al-Ism. Then it goes, Ismul Ab, then Ismul Jad, and then Ismul Qabila. You see, write your name, your father's name, your grandfather's name, and the name of your tribe. So in America, when he said your name, the guy will be like, all right, maybe you put his first, middle, last name. Your name of your father, unfortunate reality is big, considerable percentage don't even know the name of their father. Like a considerable percentage don't know that in America. Who's the father? Dada or He doesn't know his dad is. That's the reality of our existence. So, and then Ismail Qabila, there's no tribes here, man. So this is, this is how the form was. And then maybe they got, you know, uh, PR people got involved or whatever. Somebody said, then they changed it. I, the former doesn't have that anymore. They don't ask you for which tribe you belong to. The, the point is that over here, there's a system of the names. Sometimes they mention the father, sometimes they mention the grandfather only. So over here, his name was Abu Zakaria. Abu Zakaria is a kunniya. It's not mentioned here. I'm just identifying who Yahya bin Bukir is. His name is kunniya Abu Zakaria, Yahya bin Abdullah bin Bukir. Al-Qurashi, he's from the Quraysh tribe. Al-Makhzumi, the clan of Makhzum. Al-Misri, but he moved to Egypt in his time. He wasn't living in Mecca. The Quraysh left Mecca and moved all over the world. The Ansar of Medina, the Khasraji, Osis, they moved out. And subhanAllah, um, he is, mashallah, definitely a teacher of Imam Bukhari. His name is in the Sanad of Bukhari. So we know by default, we don't have to go further. He is a thiqah, meaning he is a truthful narrator. He is an Imam of Hadith. But one thing that's interesting here is that sometimes if somebody wants to attack a Hadith, 
if you look hard and, uh, uh, and look, uh, um, search with the intention of finding dirt, look really, really, really hard to find dirt on someone, you might find some comment someone wrote which may be negative about an individual because of any potential number of reasons. Maybe he wasn't aware of, of, uh, of his fadail. Maybe uh, he was misinformed. So they end up, end up saying something negative about an individual. And if you already have a set agenda that you want to attack his narration, you can pick up those statements and say, hey, this hadith is weak. So this individual is interesting in this regard as a lesson that if we come across any book where the authors may not be so, how should I say, honorable, and following the principles of jarah and ta'deel, the science of classifying the narrators. They have their own agenda, they want to attack. I'm not even talking about non-Muslims attacking, within Muslims unfortunately. They can find some dirt on the individual. That's why they will say that Imam Bukhari himself, they attacked him from, because they misunderstood what he said at the end of his life. Lovely bil Qur'ani makhluq, and they thought, oh, you're this or that. They attacked his aqidah. Right at the end of his life, he died while he was such a great scholar. In a very difficult condition, he passed away. So that was Imam Bukhari. What about Yahya bin Bukhay? And um, that is why uh, about Abdullah bin Mubarak and a few other individuals, they say that, subhanAllah, a very unique attribute of um, why some call him Amir al-Mu'minin fil hadith is that despite searching far and wide, you cannot, you cannot find anything negative about him. Anything negative, without basis even, negative statements cannot be found about him. Where here you have that, unfortunately, Imam Nasai rahmatullahi considered him a da'if narrator. Oh my God. So if you just take that out of context and say, oh, Imam Nasai said this Rabi is da'if. It's a weak narrator. The, there is a consensus of the rest of all the scholars that this was a mistake. Not Yahya bin Bukhari's mistake. This was a mistake of Nasai in classifying him as a weak narrator. This, of course, again, objection may be, hey, this beyond the level of this course. Yeah, it may be, but I'm not talking about the specifics. I'm talking about the what? The principle. The principle is, just because you read something somewhere, oh, that narrator is weak, or someone classified hadith is weak, that may not be the final verdict. You should talk to a specialist in the field who can give you the, inshallah, the correct opinion. So, of course, this hadith is absolutely sahih. And other scholars, of, right from the time of Imam Nasi afterwards, they have strongly disagreed with that classification and said, how dare you say that? Uh, all the Hufad, they have considered him to be a Hafiz of Hadith. And for example, Hafiz Dhabi, he says, غزير العلم عارفاً بالحديث وأيام الناس بصيراً بالفتوى صادقاً ديناً وما أدري ما لاح للنسائي منه حتى ضعفه He said he had so much knowledge and he had knowledge of history, Ayam and Nas, and he has also additionally had knowledge of Basiran Bil Fatwa. He would give fatwa. Even though being a mufti and being able to give fatwa is a different department. For him to be a great muhaddith, he didn't even have to know anything about fiqh. Because that's a completely different subject. But on top of being a muhaddith, he was a mufti as well. Sadiqan, truthful, dayinan, followed the deen, religious man. I have I have no idea why Nasai made this blunder by saying he's a da'if narrator. Okay. This jarah, uh, which means this negative remark about him, is rejected. 
فقد احتج به شيخان because the shaykhan the two shaykhs who the two shaykhs Bukhari and Muslim they both have taken hadith from him okay and he was born in 155 Hijri passed away in 231 he was the first teacher of Imam Bukhari we'll just finish the sanat today if you get to it then he says qala haddathana layth he he says that his teacher was layth this is abul harith layth bin sa'ad bin abdul rahman fahmi he was a great, great Imam of Misr. Um, he was born in 94 Hijri. And he passed away in 175 Hijri. Subhanallah. He was one of the imma of fiqh as well as hadith, as well as taqwa, as well as zuhd. Um, he was truly a great Imam of Egypt. So when we discuss the whole country of Egypt in that era, the greatest Imam in Egypt was Imam Layth ibn Sa'ad. Imam Dhabi says, Ahadul A'la wal al Athba thiqatun hujjatun bila niza'. There is no opinion, two opinions about him. He was a great Imam in Muhaddith and Faqih. Imam Dhabi says, Ma huwa biduni Malikin wala Sufyan. In fact, I say that he is not beneath Imam Malik of Medina and Imam Sufyan Thori. These were great Imams at that time. He's not less than them. And in fact, Imam Shafi'i, you may have heard of Imam Shafi'i, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi'i, the Imam of the Shafi'i Madhab that's named after him. He says, min Malik. In fact, in my assertion is, he was a greater faqih than Imam Malik as well. The question will come, hey, we know the Maliki Madhab, Hanbali Madhab, Hanafi, Shafi'i, four Madhabs. Why don't we know the Madhab of Lais bin Sa'ad? He actually was an Imam Mushtahid, he had his own Madhab too. But, Imam Shafi'i says, illa But his students, they did not codify his madhab, nor did they, he was, it was not decreed for him to have students that would spread his knowledge. So that is why Imam Malik had, mashallah, dedicated students. Imam Abu Hanifa had oh, all of these giants, luminaries, Imam Abu Yusuf, and Imam Muhammad, and Imam Zufar, and Imam Fulan Fulan, Hassan bin Ziyad, 40 scholars. So they codified his teachings. So the fact that someone has the most knowledge doesn't mean that his knowledge will remain for the ummah to benefit. Another important ingredient for that is to have such conditions that are conducive for that knowledge to be preserved and carried on. Just like we covered the example of Abu Huraira and Abdullah ibn Amr bin As radiallahu anhum, anhum, all three. So Abu Huraira was a sahabi and Abdullah ibn Amr bin As. But Abdullah ibn Amr bin As had more knowledge of hadith than Abu Huraira. But he was in Egypt, and again, he did not have students. So Egypt was really a newly, con uh, newly conquered territory. Amr bin Azra radiallahu anhu. Knowledge of Islam was not established there. Later on, of course, it will shine for centuries with Jamal Azhar, etc. But not at this time. And he, this Imam Layth bin Sa'ad, he would learn a lot of fiqh from Imam Abu Hanifa. And interesting thing is, where did he learn from him? He would rush to Mecca every time Imam Abu Hanifa was going for Hajj. He would go to Hajj and learn fiqh from Imam Abu Hanifa. His teacher is An Uqailin. He narrates from Uqail. Um, Uqail rahmatullahi, passed away in 144 Hijri. He is a great muhaddis as well. And he is the, one of the foremost students who narrates from An ibn Shihab. He's just known as Ibn Shahab. He is again a, a very big name in this sanad. His full name is Abu Bakr Muhammad bin Muslim bin Ubaidullah bin Abdullah bin Shihab. 
See, Shahab comes all the way back up in his name. His name is Abu Bakr. This is Kunniya. Muhammad bin Muslim, bin Ubaidullah, bin Abdullah, bin Jihab, bin Abdullah, bin Harith, bin Zuhra, bin Kilab, bin Murrah, bin Kaab, bin Luwai, bin Ghalib, bin Fahar, bin Malik. Goes all the way up. He's a Qurashi, a Zuhri, a Madani. Uh, commonly just known as Ibn Shahab Zuhri. You see his name, Ibn Shahab Zuhri. Um, he is among the Tabi'een. So you have Kibaru Tabi'een, which are senior Tabi'een. Then you have Sigar Tabi'een, junior Tabi'een. So he's from the junior Tabi'een. Junior Tabi'een means they gained the knowledge from senior Tabi'een and they, they got a couple Sahaba. So just because they got the late Sahaba, few Sahaba, now they become a Tabi'een. Like Imam Hanifa himself, definitely he's among, he's a Tabi'i for sure, but he's Sigharu Tabi'in because he only met four Sahaba. Tabiz al-Sahifa ibn Aqib ibn Hanifa, Jalaluddin Suyuti al-Shafi'i wrote it, in which he, he proves that Imam Hanifa met four Sahaba. So he met four Sahaba, he met Anas bin Malik, etc., the most famous of the four in his childhood because he was born in 80th Hijri. So he was very, very young and he met four Sahaba. So he's Sigharu Tabi'in. Then you have Kibaru Tabi'in. Kibaru Tabi'in, imagine an adult accepts Islam, uh, uh, even in the life of Rasulullah but when he comes to Medina, Nabi passed away. So who's there? Everyone is there, pretty much everyone. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, all the Ashar Mubashar are there, all the Muhajirun Ansar are there, all the Sabiqeen al awwalin only perhaps the Shuhada of Uhad aren't there, because they passed away, frankly, right? He's, so besides that, majority of Sahabi has access to. Those are called what? Kibaru Tabi'in. Top level tabi'in. So he is a Sigharu tabi'in. And um, he, pa uh, he was born in 50th year Hijri, passed away in 124 Hijri. Then after that, he narrates from Urwa ibn Zubair. Now, Urwa ibn Zubair, we covered his detail. I mean, not too much detail, but we did cover his, his biography before. Urwa ibn Zubair, younger brother of Abdullah ibn Zubair, and talked about him. He is now Kibaru tabi'in, major tabi'in. He narrates from Aisha. Do you remember? We talked about this relationship. Yes? Khala, exactly. Some, mashallah, someone was paying attention. That this is Urwa bin Zubair. Urwa's mother is Asma bin Tabi Bakar radiallahu anha. And Asma and Aisha are sisters. So he narrates from his Khala. Remember, he had access to his Khala. He could go behind the curtain. You know, you want to ask him, say, you know, go on the lady's side. Remember back in the day before the cell phones and the parties? The, that was a, I used to hate that when I was a kid. When I was a kid in the 80s, there were no cell phones. So at the Dawas, there was the uncles who say, Beta beta jakar auntie se koke ham gari me wait kare. Go uncle, go for those who don't understand English or Urdu, is that they would you know, send you, go on, go on behind the parda, behind the hijab, call auntie, tell her that you're waiting the car to end the party. Do you think auntie is ready to leave the party? Absolutely not ready to leave the party. So, so, so <laughs> then you go there and say, auntie, come on, this is like unheard of for the new generation. So, the, because the, why would you send some random boy? Because you don't have a cell phone back then. Where are you gonna, you're gonna go to a phone box? What did they used to call Phone booth? There's no phone booth, right? So you would, you, so you would go, you say, then you come back. Uncle, she's, she's busy, uncle. Then he would take his anger out of me. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. So likewise, if they had an issue with Aisha radiallahu Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, When you want to ask the wise of Rasulullah ask them from behind the curtain. So now they want direct access to Aisha Radana. Who, who do you contact? Go to Qasim bin Muhammad bin Abi Bakr, there's another nephew, or go to Urba ibn Zubair. These guys help you out because they have access. 
So he goes behind the curtain. I talked about this relationship last time, the dynamic of this. Urwa bin Zubair narrates from Aisha radiallahu anha, Ummul Mu'mineen, and her biography is covered. What did she say? Annaha qalat, she says. She says the following. What did she say? The beginning of the wahi was through true dreams. And inshallah, we'll pick up the story from this point. May Allah give us tawfiq to make amal and to continue with this discussion. So this is a good stopping point, rest area, rest point, because we finished the sanad and we're going to be starting the matan from the beginning of the text of the hadith. From this word, first, the first thing, how did the wahi begin? Through true dreams. May Allah Ta'ala give us uh, tawfiq to be able to retain something, benefit from this, and to come back next week to uh, finish this hadith, as far as we are able to reach. And if there are any questions regarding this, Ji. Ji. The Prophet will not have bad dreams. They are. Um, these dreams are described with three sifat here as saliha as sadiqa and al-wadiha which is to come in the next discussion inshallah so anything that we already discussed after awalu is the next weeks saliha sadiqa wadiha they were good dreams saliha means they're um, they're good good as in happy dreams positive dreams and then sadiqa is truthful dreams and wadiha means clear. So uh, all the dreams of Nabi are sadiq, are true. But they are not all saliha, not always good. For example, this is something, I don't want to end on something sad, but since you brought it up, is, are all the dreams of Nabi saliha, positive? No. Are they all true? Yes. Sadiq. But they're not all positive. What's the example of a negative dream? Is at, before the battle of Wahad, Nabi saw that he, he took the sword out and the sword was breaking into pieces. Then he saw the cows being slaughtered and the blood splurting the zibah of the cows. So this, he interpreted this. What is the interpretation of that? The 70 Sahaba who are going to become Shaheed. Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, his dear uncle, is going to become Shaheed. Musab ibn Umair. So that is not a Saliha. Saliha over here means good, as in positive, encouraging, good dream. Good, I mean, yeah, positive dream. So that's the, that's the one Sifat he mentions here. Fin Noam, in, in, in his sleep he saw it. So we'll talk about that. Any, any question about what we already discussed? Yes? Yes. No, no, no. Yeah, this is just one of his many, many narrators. Yeah, this is just one. Already the hadith that we have covered so far, each one is a different teacher. This one is Abdullah bin Yusuf. Okay, then we move back and we have Hadith al-Humaydiyu. We covered this, Humaydi was from Makkah. And then the second one was, you know, Madani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yes. So if you go in the, in the Masanid, the books of hadith, which are classified by narrator, you can find all the, narrator, uh, all the hadith narrated by this particular narrator. Yeah. You can search it like that. You know, like search function, when you go through databases, so you want to pick up this narrator, okay, where does his name come? You can do the search that way too. Yes.
So basically, just like on, in the Tuesday tafsirs that you come to, they have, may Allah reward the brothers, they, you know, they, they prepare some type of snacks. So they prepared some snacks, I'm not sure what, exactly what it is, huh? whatever it is, some drink or something. The idea was, when we were standing until Aisha, then all of you, this is the, uh, the you know, sabar kapal mita. For you made sabar, they give you the drink. But what happens is that all the Aisha crowd comes in. So that's why they weren't able to serve it. So we will serve it now, sometime, so you can have it before the Isha comes. And we can, you know, uh, continue the discussion over the snacks. Oh, it's a good, interesting question. Is it, is it rewarding? See, what happens is, is it rewarding to visit Ghar Hira? SubhanAllah. Very good question. Even though, again, this is going to come ahead, I guess, but whatever. We did translate it, the whole hadith, right? So from that perspective, it's okay. This is a very, very naive approach some people have, is that they classify everything into two categories. Sunnah and Bid'ah. There is a category of Sunnah and there is a category of Bid'ah. But guess what happened? This is a very naive approach. Because there's a huge category in the middle, which is perhaps the biggest one, which is neither Sunnah and nor Bid'ah. It's something which is called Mabah permissible. So they're just completely ignoring the existence of the entire category of permissible things. So, uh, so visiting Ghar Hira, is it an established sunnah practice? No, because like when you perform Umrah, Nabi Sallallahu did he come back to Makkah? Yes. When did he come back? He came back, when he, uh, he came back a few times. He tried to come back in the sixth year, but he was stopped in Hudaybiyah. Seventh year, he did come perform Umrah. We know how he did the tawaf when he walked, strutting, when, uh, in a, uh, uh, sh uh, moving his shoulders. Even how he walked the kefiyah, the ramal he did in the three, in three, uh, three, uh, three shows, three times circumventing the Kaaba, he walked, um, stretching out his chest and stomping his feet. And then after that, he stopped doing that. So, how long he did it and how he did it, we even know that, right? So, you understand? That's why I'm mentioning this example. And he kept his right shoulder open, when he did tawaf. Then after he finished the tawaf, he covered it when he did sa'i. The point of giving the example is that if we know that level, wouldn't we know that he went to Ghar Hira? You think we would, they would skip it, the narrators, the sahaba who are noting down every minutest detail, do you think they would skip it? They would not skip it. So what does that mean? He did not visit Ghar Hira. Amalan. Nor did he give targhib and say everyone should visit Ghar Hira. He did it. So it's not part of the Umrah. Is it, is it a rukun farad of Umrah? No. Is it a wajib of Umrah? No. Is it a mustahab nafal of Umrah? No. What about, then when did he come back? Came back in 8th year of Hijrah for Fatih Makkah. Did he go to Ghar Hira? Not recorded. Then he came back 10th year for Hajjat al-Wada. Is it recorded? No. So, is it Sunnah? It's not Sunnah. That's established. It's not Sunnah. Next thing. Automatically, those who don't even know that there's a whole category of permissible actions, they say, oh, it's not sunnah, therefore it's bid'ah. Hold on. It's not necessarily a bid'ah right away. Depends on your intention. If, if you are going to see any other historical place that, you know, um, whatever, there's so many historical ruins throughout the world, so, um, for example, if you are going to say, this is the Qutub Minar, for example. 
Qutbuddin Shah came and he built this Qutb Minar. There's a whole thing about it in the news now. The BJP are saying that there was a mandir there, they want to destroy the Qutb Minar, right? Like the Babri Masjid. So that's why it came in my mind, because I read it recently in the news. So they want to destroy the Qutb Minar. This Minar is on the ruins of a mandir. That pretty much wherever there's any masjid, there was a mandir once upon a time. What's the proof of that? You don't need any proof, right? So there was a mandir. Mandir is what? You know what a mandir is? Hindu temple, right. So, he was, uh, so if you go to see the Qutub Minar, no one's going to say it's bid'ah. It's a historical thing, just going to see it from a historical perspective. Or, um, so if you go with that intention, oh, this is a historical place, Nabi Wasallam was here, I want to see that, then it's jais, it's permissible. It can become a bid'ah if you make it a part of the deen. If you say that this is a necessary part of Umrah, you went for Umrah, you didn't go to Ghar-e-Hira, your Umrah is incomplete, brother. If you believe that, then you have made it part of the deen. Now what happens? Now it becomes a bid'ah. Because Rasulullah said, Man ahdatha fi amrina hadam alisa minhu. Whoever um, makes something part of the deen, that which is not part of the deen, fi amrina, makes it part of the deen, ma'alisa minhu, it's not part of the deen, fawradun, it is now rejected, it's a bid'ah. So, so literally, if somebody says, this is part of the deen, Part of the Umrah. If you do it, you have fulfilled your Umrah. If you haven't, you have been negligent. You don't love Rasulullah. You're Gustafi Rasul. You're not Ashiq Rasul. You don't love Rasulullah. Now you have made it a bid'ah. But if you say that, I want to go there just to see the historical place and imagine Nabi would be worshipping Allah here and how it would have looked and it's not been commercialized and I can imagine how it was back in that time, then what is that? It's permissible. If somebody says, what's your proof for it? Then they have not understood your claim. You have to tell them, I never made that claim. For example, if you're eating a date, and somebody, and somebody says, what's the dalil that's from Ajwa of Medina? You'll say, I never said it's Ajwa of Medina. This may be Mexican Majul dates. This is not Ajwa of Medina. What's the proof that that's Ajwa? I never said it's Ajwa. If I say this is Ajwa from the tree planted by Rasulullah the original trees in the, in the time of Usman or Salman Farsi's if I, if I say this is the whole Salman Farsi story this day is from that garden orchard planted in the time of Rasulullah and so and so then you got to get your sanad, prove it but if I'm just eating dates and then you come and tell me prove it but I never said it's from Medina this is from Mexico, California, Arizona Majul dates alright, same thing so visiting the God of Hira, you claim it's to a sunnah, then you got to prove it. Otherwise, you don't have to prove anything. It's just permissible. So let's never forget, there's sunnah, there's bid'ah, and then there is mabah. Purely permissible. Alright, Zakallah khair for the good question. Yes? Adab came. Yeah. So that is very, very ironic question. About Al-Ula, yeah, Madaina Salih. You talk, you're up to date with the tourism, uh, Department of Tourism. Department of Hayat al-Amr bin Ma'roof and Nahi al-Munkar, closed. Hayat al-Irshad and all of that, closed. Da'wah is closed. And the Ministry of Tourism, Ministry of Promotion of Virtue and Prohibition of Vice has been closed down. But the, the Ministry of, of, yeah, of Allah Akbar. All different types of entertainment is booming. Allah Alam. What's going on? May Allah protect all of us. So, you can cut this off later, huh? <laughs>
दिस इज आई टी गाइड राइट हियर तो आप लाइव स्ट्रीम बंद कर देंगे This is a place of adab. This, this is something is Mansur. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He passed by there. This is known as Madainu Salih, where Salih Alayhi Salam's home was there. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam passed through this area with the Sahaba on the way to where Tabuk, Ghazwatu, Tabuk, the Tabuk expedition. So he said, "Look down, and you should cry when you pass through here. This is not a place of picnicking. This is not a place of partying. It's the Sahih Hadith about it." One is there's a general concept that if the adab of Allah came somewhere, you know it's not a place of rejoicement. It's like a pretty, it's a no-brainer. You don't have to. It's not you know it's not rocket science to figure it out. Hey, the adab of Allah came somewhere. Maybe that's not the best picnic destination. You're looking at a family vacation. Chalo, yah adab aaya, yah chalte hain. Does that make sense? No. So it's pretty basic. Firbi, on top of that, we have explicit hadith about crying and passing through there. So is that something you need to light up with multiple colors and make it shine in the night, and you know make it a UNESCO World Heritage Site and a place to tour for enjoyment purposes? There is one ayah in the Quran: "Fanduru kaifa kana aqibatul mujrimin." "Qul siru fil ardi fanduru kaifa kana aqibatul mujrimin." Travel the earth and see how the adab of Allah came upon the sinners. So if you take that and you say for ibra, you're okay. But if you're going for the intention of enjoyment, Then that is clear violation of the order of Rasulullah. Passed by there one to Bakun while crying. May Allah Taala protect us from that. So it's so ironical that the same people, government, who had been bent on eradicating all Muslim Sahabas and Rasulullah's eras historical sites that had been preserved centuries by the by the different by the. You know, lately by the Uthmaniyyu and the Ottomans, and before that by the Abbasis and the and the Umayyads, they were what systematically destroyed because visiting them is a bid'ah. But now we are preserving what and investing money in in uh, upgrading the places where the Adab of Allah came. So that is very very tragic. May Allah Taala guide us and guide the Muslim rulers.